listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be. Again, they're continuing to work on my microphone to kind of get it to where it needs to be. But Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be, and we'll begin in verse number 3. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 19 in verse number 3. Matthew chapter 19 in verse number 3. The Bible says, And the Pharisees came up to him, that's Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now go down to verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. You may be seated. Have you ever had an awkward conversation? You know, topics like money and politics and religion are kind of known to be taboo. Uh, even talking about someone else's personal hygiene can kind of somewhat be awkward. Uh, I will tell you that it's never good to come to a lady and ask her if she's pregnant. <laughs> Ever. Amen, ladies? Don't touch your belly and don't say, do you have a baby there? Because that will be awkward. You know, I've learned in life that topics are not awkward, people are. And one of the most difficult conversations for the parent and even for the child is the talk. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you remember when you got your talk? You know, the talk often ends up being a monologue or a lecture where there are no question and answer times at the end. (laughs) The talk seems to be often memorable in that you remember that you had it, but you don't remember what was said in it. And the reason why is because... Often the talk is uncomfortable. Well, here's the question we want to ask this morning. And and whether you're a parent or a grandparent or just somebody, is there a way to talk about difficult topics with people or your children that are actually encouraging rather than discouraging when you're done? And the answer is yes, there is a way to have conversations that can point them to truth and healing. And the purpose of the message this morning is to help you with that. Now, as we're reading Matthew chapter 19, which we're doing for the months of April and May, we're seeing here that the religious establishment in Jesus' day was trying to trap Jesus in a conversation. That they wanted to trap him in such a way that would make him look silly or would confuse those who listened to him. And so what Jesus does here is he speaks with comfort and with clarity, addressing the questions of the Pharisees. And in doing so, he's going to affirm some things. There's some people that say, you know, Jesus never said anything about this. Jesus never said anything about that. Well, Jesus here does say a lot about God's design for humanity, for relationships, for sexuality, for gender, for singleness, for dating, for sex, and for marriage. 
And here's what I want you to get this morning. God wants to and has equipped and empowered us to have difficult conversations with others to help them find healing for their broken life. God has equipped and empowered us to have difficult conversations with others to help them find healing for their broken lives. Now listen, this morning's message is not a how-to parent. I want you to understand I am not an expert, and if you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm not an expert in parenting. But what I want to give you this morning is a framework, a way to think through how to have conversations with your children, how to have conversations with other people that point them to truth and point them to healing. So two things we want to talk about this morning. Number one, the goal of everyday conversations, the goal of everyday conversations. So what's the purpose of having ongoing everyday conversations with your children or even with others about difficult topics? Well, in verses three through six, we saw that the Pharisees came to Jesus with the question that for them was difficult to answer, but was not difficult for Jesus. Have you ever wondered in your mind, maybe as I'm, 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 I don't know if you're watching this show, but I highly recommend it. It's called The Chosen. If you've not seen it, go find out what it is. Google it, look into it. It's a great show. But have you ever thought about how many questions Jesus got over the course of his life? Just think about that. I mean, people were coming up to him and, and some of them were, I mean, I think about how many questions I get as a pastor. I can't even imagine what it would be like for Jesus to have all the questions that he gets. Well, Jesus here, whenever he is approached by someone with a question, and especially a hard question, he doesn't shy away from the conversation. He doesn't shy away from any questions. And what you see about Jesus' life is that Jesus used everyday conversations and everyday questions to point people to truth. See, the Bible teaches that, that God has entrusted the weighty task of teaching truth to your children for parents. That's what God has done. God has given parents that weighty task of teaching truth to your children. And so parents, you are to be the first source of wisdom, knowledge, and theology. This task for teaching your children about God and teaching your children the things of God should not be outsourced, but yet many times... Kids are looking to someone else because your kids have questions, right? Do you remember when you were a kid? Did you ever have questions? And so what they're getting, if their parents are not answering those questions, they're going to Uncle Google and they're going to Aunt TikTok for questions to answers that are bothering them so. So to teach truth to your kids or to teach truth to anyone, you have to be willing to engage in a conversation, so the goal of a conversation is to help move your kids, particularly, or someone else from point A to point B in their thinking or understanding. So for your kids, for you to have a conversation with them about life, about difficult topics, it can't just be a checkbox where you've just, you know, I talked about a, a tough situation, I've done it, I'm one and done, and it's over. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes you just kind of hold your nose and do it and just pray that you can get through it. It's all about an ongoing conversation. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, God instructs his people when they are to, they are to teach their children the things of God. And he, he says here that you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. You shall talk of them when you walk by the way. You shall talk when you lie down and when you rise. In other, in other words, as you live life, you are to parent. See, parenting is more of an art than it is a science. It's more about a relationship than it is about rules. We don't often have the opportunity to arrange the moments that will influence our children's lives, but we should be looking for those opportunities to teach when those moments happen. 
So for those of you in the room that are already thinking about the difficult topics that maybe your children have already brought up to you, but you've kind of shooed away, you have to understand that difficult conversations need to be started and they need to be sustained. A one-and-done approach to a difficult topic for your children can be overwhelming both for them and for you because you have this pressure. Well, I have to tell them everything they need to know in this one moment. But if you take that approach that I've done my job, I've had the talk with my children, then what can happen is that actually can close the door for future questions and it actually may cause them to be unwilling to talk to you about anything at all. You should always be willing to have your kids come to you, even if they tell you how bad they've messed up and you not immediately, your first response is to just want to punish them. You should be the kind of parent that is open to hear what your kids are struggling with and not just be so immediately willing to punish them, but be open. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't punish. You should punish, but there should be ways to do this. And so if what I found and what I'm learning and what I believe in Scripture's teaching about parenting is that simple explanations over a long period of time will sink deeper in the kid and will build trust in the kid. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus didn't tell everything he knew at one moment with his disciples. Over three plus years, he had ongoing conversations with them that pointed them to truth. So here's what you've got to understand, parents. Someone is going to teach your kids about sex. And I believe it's best that it comes from you and not somebody else. See, either you're going to educate them or the world's going to educate them. Deborah Ruffman, who writes a book, which is a great book called Talk to Me First, Everything You Need to Know to Become Your Kid's Go-To Person About Sex. What an interesting title. She writes, kids who grow up in families where sexuality is openly discussed are not just healthier and happier, but but they also postpone participation in in a range of risky behaviors, including sexual activity. So here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to think about. Conversations are difficult. Nobody likes confrontation and nobody likes topics that are difficult. But I want you to think about your conversation with somebody or your conversation with your kid as a road. And I want you to think of awkwardness as a ditch on both sides. So think about awkwardness. So you're, you're trying to have a conversation with your kid, but there's, a, there's the awkwardness ditch on the right. And, and that awkwardness ditch on the right is actually giving your child less information than they need. So your 10-year-old, your 11-year-old comes to you and says, Daddy, I've heard about this word sex. What does that mean? And you look at them and you say, who told you about that? I'll tell you when you're older. What is that going to do? Well, one, it's going to scare them if you yell like that. Number two, they're probably never going to ask you again. Because you've immediately shut down any thought of future conversations. And I want you to be honest with you. I've been guilty of this. Anybody else been guilty of this? Say amen. You know, we've all been guilty. I guess nobody's guilty but me because none of nobody wanted to say amen on that one. Okay. The 930 crowd is rough. Prayer 11 is better. But anyway, the ditch on the right is giving less information than they want. And the ditch on the left is giving more information than they need. Your five-year-old comes to you and asks you, mommy, daddy, how are babies made? And you get a diagram and you show them. You tell them all the intricate details. That may be too much for a five-year-old. It may scare them. Oversharing can hurt a future conversation as much as undersharing. So what I recommend is have a plan. Engage your child. Each child has a different level of maturity. Each child has a different struggle. Each child has a different situation. But awkwardness creates barriers that prevent the kind of trust our children need and desire to have from us and with us. So it's, it's, 
eliminating the awkwardness so you can have ongoing conversations. And here's what I believe with all of my heart, and I'm trying to practice this. The more conversations you can have now, the more you can potentially prevent confusion and hurt down the road. Listen, whether we like it or not, we live in a highly sexualized society where everyone is exposed to sexual language, explicit images, and behaviors. And I want you to understand that most kids are hearing about sex at the age of 8, and according to studies, are exposed to pornography by age 10 and 11. So whether it's YouTube or whether it's something else, they're being exposed. And so there are some great tools out there. One tool that I recommend is, is a book, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a study called Passport to Purity, and you can look that up. Uh, But I believe that we should pray for and look for every day opportunities to teach our children truth. And I believe it's good to initiate conversations, to be proactive rather than reactive. And so instead of coming at the form of lecture, come to your child and maybe ask questions like this. Well, what do you know about where babies come from? Or what are some things that make boys and girls different? Or or why why is it good to close the door when you're changing your clothes? Now, you can ask more difficult questions that make them think, but here's the thing. You have to be relaxed and you have to be comfortable. It's only awkward if you make it awkward. Okay? Now, think about preaching a message on this stuff. It's only awkward if you make it awkward. So, some people, and some of you in this room, and maybe watching online if we're on, struggle with talking about these issues because of past sin. Because of past guilt, because of some shame, maybe you've been a victim of sexual abuse or or maybe you have gone through seasons of confusion and so you think, well, I can't tell my kids about this stuff because I'll feel like a hypocrite. What I want you to get from this one thing is that there is a value in you talking to them about this first. When you talk to your kids, when you're proactive rather than reactive, you are prepared You set the tone, you set the content, you set the definitions, you set the context. And I want you to understand, for men, sometimes it's very difficult. And I thank God for my wife who has spent time helping my kids, reading through the books where the kids understand red flag and and, and what things are not appropriate. But I, I want you to understand that if you're not prepared to have this conversation with them, somebody else is going to have it. And so if you will go ahead and initiate that, you won't be caught off guard. And also, if you're prepared, your kids' friends won't seem to be more educated about the topic than you are. Think about that. The goal of Christian parenting and the goal of just conversations with anybody is to point them, ultimately, to the one who has the answers. In 13 through 15, Jesus here says, let the little children come to me. Children are wanting to come to Jesus after Jesus just answered this very difficult question to these Pharisees. And, and, and what does the Bible say? The disciples hindered them. They, they said, no, 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 don't bother Jesus. He doesn't have time for you. But what does Jesus say? Don't hinder them. Let them come to me. Do you understand that Jesus is always open for kids to come to him? Our job as a parent, our goal as a parent is to not hinder our kids from Jesus. But to point them to Jesus. And so many times by our actions and our attitude, and I'm sinful in this, I'm guilty in this, that I'm afraid that sometimes I'm hindering my kids from God more than I'm pointing them to him. Listen, we don't want our kids to believe in Jesus or the Bible just because we say so. 
We don't want our kids to believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus because going to church makes you happier, healthier, and a better person. We want them to see Jesus for themselves and to believe that what he says about himself and life is true. We want them to have a faith and relationship of their own. And here's what you have to understand. We cannot make our children fall in love with Jesus, but we can set them up on as many dates with him as possible. The goal of Christian parenting is not and should not be behavior modification. It should be heart transformation. And the only way heart transformation is going to happen is you've got to keep pointing them to the only one who can change their heart. So the goal of everyday conversations is to point people to Jesus, to get through the awkwardness. Now, let's just take a second back because some of you are saying, I'm not a parent, I'm not a grandparent, or I've already done that, been there, have the t-shirt, and I moved on. You can take the same principles with any other conversation. I think it's best to ask questions of people that get them to think about where they are in life. It doesn't have to just be about sex. It could be about any other topic. And so the question, so that what we want to now look at in thinking about that is we see the goal. The goal of everyday conversations with anybody, anybody, should be ultimately to glorify God, right? And to, to, to point them to Jesus. You say, even everyday, even, even talking about sports can, can point people to Jesus? Yes, Kentucky, for the very first time, praise God, uh, won our first national championship in women's indoor volleyball. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Amen. You can point someone to Jesus just that quickly. But let me give you now a guide. I want to give you a guide for everyday conversations. And I don't know if you were able to. The storm kind of messed us up here to get a little card. But in a moment, we're going to need that card. But I want you to look that when Jesus answers the Pharisees. Now, the second point is the guide for everyday conversations. But when Jesus answers the Pharisees, he begins with a question. They ask him about divorce, and then Jesus says, have you read? Have you read? What Jesus hears, he's playing tennis with the Pharisees. They lob the ball over at him. He lobbed the ball back at them. And what he does is he answers their question with a question, but in that question is meant to make them think for themselves. They said, well, is it lawful for somebody to get divorced for any cause? And Jesus says, have you not read? Pop. Okay? And so, if a disciple is someone who follows Jesus in faith and lifestyle and helps others do the same, I think we would do well to follow Jesus' example in answering difficult questions, don't you? So what was Jesus' starting point? God's design. How, does he, how do we know what God's design is? from the Bible. Have you not read? He, and he also, he doesn't say, have you not read Dr. Spock? That's an old reference for like five of you. <laughs> have you not read Dr. Phil? Have you not read so-and-so? No. He says, have you not read what the Bible says? So if you want to have difficult conversations, you have to kind of know what the Bible says. You know, experts, when, when, when that are, that are, Experts in spotting counterfeit dollar bills, counterfeit money. Uh, they, don't, they don't become an expert of every possible deviation. They, they don't become an expert in every form of counterfeit money. You know what they become an expert at? The real thing. They become an expert at real money. 
So these people that know how to spot counterfeits, they know the markings of, the, of real money. They know the paper. They know the ink. They know the look. And so what they do is they focus on what is true and what is real so that when a fake bill shows up, they can easily spot how fake it is compared to the real thing. So for us, when we're having conversations, we need to know what the real thing is. And so you have in front of you, hopefully, a card, or you're going to see it on the screen, this diagram. And the rest of our sermon is pretty much around this. And this is the three circles guide that we share and we use here when it comes to sharing the gospel with evangelism. Uh, my friend, Jimmy Scroggins, uh, pastor of Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida, really, really good friend of mine, uh, shared, uh, shared really the genesis of where this concept came from. He, is, he created, he came up with this way of doing evangelism. And it actually didn't start just for evangelism. It started in dealing with people that were struggling in their marriages and in parenting. And so what this three circles guide does, which hopefully we're going to give you, it'll be on our website. And if you need a copy, if you're watching online, we'll make it available for you. But this guide is a framework that helps you think through and discuss difficult topics in life. And so what it does is it reminds you that God has a design for our lives, that sin has broken our lives, that Jesus died for our sin and brokenness and has provided a pathway towards recovery and restoration. And so I'm going to walk through that, but I want to just do something that I've never done before in a service, and hopefully this will work. But we have the, Jimmy is a really good friend of mine, and I have some copies of his book, Full Circle Parenting. And if you would like a copy of this book, we're going to do a random drawing of everyone who'll text into this number right here, 407-338-4024. We're going to give away three to five copies of this because I believe this is, I've already read pretty much most of this book. It is one of the best resources for parenting that I know. And so three circle, full circle parenting. So if you text in right now, just put your name, make sure you put your name. And if you text that in, you'll be in the drawing and you'll, you'll, you'll know if you've won by this afternoon. All right? I've never done that before in a sermon, may never do it again. So this is your one chance. All right, now let's go back through the three circles here. And here's what I want to do is I want to walk through this with you. The first part I want you to see on these three circles is we see God's design, that big circle up at the top left. God has a design for every aspect of your life, including your family, your sexuality, your marriage, your school, your gender, your work, your friends, and even your own personal happiness. God has a plan, has a design for that. And so the Bible teaches that if we live according to God's design, then we're able to experience God's blessing. Now, that doesn't mean, because we live, as we're going to talk about in a moment, in a broken world, that if we live for God's design, that we won't experience any problems in this world. But it does tell us that when we live according to God's design, we're blessed. It's always the best to live by God's design. So I believe that God has designed life and everything in it with perfect design. But then you see this other line, and it's a little word called sin. And so either we love God, and we live according to his design, or we live life our way and go against God's design. And so when we do life our way against God's design, that's the word sin, okay? When you go your way rather than God's way, that's sin. So sin is more than just doing bad things. It is ultimately doing our own thing apart from God, and so the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God has a design for everything in the world. Sin is going against God's design, which leads you to the next circle, which is brokenness. And so when we live our lives contrary to God's design, we end up in brokenness. 
So every problem you experience in this life is ultimately a sin problem. Either it's your sin or someone else's sin against you, and, or it's just a result of living in a sinful, broken world. And brokenness leads to shame, it leads to guilt, it leads to fear, it leads to anger, it leads to hurt, it leads to insecurity, it leads to rebellion. When you're broken, you feel empty. See, what sin does is sin separates us from God, and sin separates us from each other, and it has eternal consequences. The other day, I was talking to my daughter, Anna, about just, we live in a broken world, and we're sinners. And she looked at me, and she says, Dad, I'm broken. And then she says, we're all broken. And that's true. The more we are aware of our own brokenness, the more we are open to the possibility of changing. So if you're here in this room and you say, you know what, I've got it all figured out. I, 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 I know what I want to do. I know how to live my life. Is that really, are you being honest? Do you look in the mirror every day and just think you've got it all figured out? The more that we see we don't work right, the more we long to want to work right. So our first instinct for all of us, when we recognize that something in us isn't right, is we want to change or fix ourselves. And so you see those little squiggly lines? We, we, these are our attempts to fix our brokenness, and we try to do it one of two ways. Either one, we try to numb the pain by escape. Because we're broken, because we're not where we should be, we try to use other things to help us not feel so bad. So we turn to things that numb us like drugs, like alcohol, like sex, like pleasure, like career, like money, thinking that if we could just have those things, we won't feel so bad about ourselves. But the second way we try to fix our brokenness is we try, on the other extreme, is we try to white-knuckle and fix ourselves through willpower. So we'll turn to religion. We'll turn to self-help. We'll turn to discipline. We'll work harder, try harder, do better. But here's the problem. That no matter how hard we try to change ourselves, no matter how much we try to do to numb the pain, the solution is never deep enough and will never last long enough. So, when you come to this place, and this may be where some of you are right now, because you may be saying, oh, Pastor, I've tried religion I've tried it, but it's not enough. That's the best place to be. Because when you come to the place where you understand that you can't fix yourself, that you understand that you need help from someplace or someone else outside of yourself. And so that's where you see this next line of repentance and faith. When you see that you're broken and you're open to change and you see that you can't fix yourself, but you need somebody else to help you, the change that you want and the change that you're looking for can only be found by abandoning your efforts to fix yourself. And that seems counterintuitive, right? That if I abandon my attempts to fix myself, I'll get fixed. But basically, when you turn from trying to fix yourself and trying to live life your way, the Bible calls that word repentance. To repent is to change your mind, to change your heart, to change your direction. To stop going your way and to turn and go the right way. To turn from the sin that caused the brokenness in the first place. 
And so to turn to is that word faith, that you turn to the one who can help you. You turn to Jesus to heal your brokenness and to forgive your sins. And when you believe and trust in him, that you believe he has the power, the ability, and the loving desire to bring about deep, long-lasting, eternal change in your life. How do I know that? How do I know that Jesus has the power to actually fix me? Well, that's that last circle, the gospel. The gospel just simply means good news. That Jesus entered our broken world, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, and died in our place for our sins and rose from the dead to secure our forgiveness and salvation forever. And so if we repent and believe in Jesus, Jesus comes into our lives and heals our brokenness. And as he heals our brokenness, then we are able to recover and pursue God's design for our life. From the moment that we believe in the gospel, God gives us the power to live our lives according to his design. That we can, for the first time, pursue his desire for our life and live in his freedom. Now, this doesn't mean that if you trust Jesus and you follow and pursue his way, that there will not be difficult consequences from past sinful choices. You can't just murder a bunch of people, turn to Jesus, and expect to not go to jail. And it also doesn't mean that because maybe you're a victim of sinful circumstances from somebody else, that just because you trust Jesus means that that's automatically going to go away. But here's what it does mean, that when you trust Jesus, the only one who can fix you, and you give him your life, you in that moment have a right relationship with your creator, and you will have ultimate healing over time. So, I went through all of that, which is the gospel. Isn't that great? And if you're here in this room, I pray that if you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online, if you don't know Jesus, today would be the day you would turn your life over to Jesus. So these three circles are a framework for you to think through and talk through with somebody. This came across as a presentation, but it's really not a presentation as much as it is a rubric, a a set of categories to help you think through Difficult conversation. So now we're going to do this practically. So let's say your kid comes to you and asks you about sex. Now the natural instinct for most Christian parents is to tell your kids this. Sex is horrible, terrible, and bad. (laughs) Don't do it until you're married and then it becomes good. And yet your kids are told by their friends or social media that sex is something other than that. And so they're confused. And that fuels insecurity, that fuels shame, that fuels selfishness. So how can I use the three circles to help talk through this? Because I think the three circles helps us start with a better story. So if your kid comes to you and they ask you a question like this, well, if they ask you about sex, you say, listen, Aaron, Andrew, Anna... Those are my children. God created sex for our pleasure and for our good. God has a design, and it's celebrated as a gift of God that is a way to show oneness in marriage, and it's a way to show love and appreciation to your spouse. And God designed that sex in a marriage is is a way for babies to be made and and for the world to be filled. And, And God designed for sex to be within marriage and a relationship between a man and a woman. And that's the way that God has designed. It's not something scary or bad or evil. God just has a specific design for it. And and if it gets out of that design, then 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 there can be consequences. And like any good gift from God, there are some consequences. There are some bad things that people will misuse and abuse it. 
And so this is where you talk to them and say, hey, how are some ways that people maybe don't follow God's design for marriage? And they may tell you things. Or this is where you can maybe tell them, hey, this is why it's not good for people to look at other people on videos or in magazines uh, that, uh, that aren't clothed. This is, a way, this is a way for you to say, you know what, there are people who have been hurt by other people, and if anyone ever comes to you and they want to touch you inappropriately, you need to say red flag and run because there are people out there that are mean people. Or this is where you can talk about how God has a design that marriage is between a man and a woman, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Or this is a way for you to say, you know what, sometimes people do things they shouldn't do and they they, they, they have sex with somebody they're not married to, and that's not God's design. And so when you go away from God's design, it's sin, and when you sin, there's always brokenness. Sin is a good gift, but yet it can bring great harm. And a lot of people today, even some of you in the pews are watching online, you feel shame, you feel guilt, and you can even become obsessed with it. And many of you, maybe in this room, you are in bondage, and you're hurting because of it. And so we try to fix it, and sometimes you can say, you know what, kids, we try to do this, we try to do that to fix these problems, but we can't, we don't have the power, because you know what, as your kids get older, their hormones begin to, to, to hormone, and, and things begin to happen. And so you need to tell them that these desires that they have aren't necessarily sinful as long as they're within the way God designed it to be. But if and when your children do, not if, but when your children do mess up here, they're going to feel bad for a little while. That's why you constantly point them to God's design so they can see, hey, this is not the way God wants me to live. And when they do, they feel broken. And when they feel broken, you can point them that, listen, even though you have sinned against God, Jesus has come to set you free. And I want to tell you in this room, because I know, listen, I know. You can fake it all you want. I know there are men in this room watching pornography every day. I know there are women in this room that are struggling with some sort of sexual addiction. I know that many of you in this room maybe have been uh, the, the victim of sexual abuse. And you're in bondage to it. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to break you free from the brokenness of sexual bondage. That if you trust in him and him alone and you turn from going your way to going his way, that then he can help you. And, and when he does, he can forgive you. He can forgive you. He, he can set you free to live a life in a way that God designed for you to live. And he will help you and give you security and peace and joy and love because Jesus is the only one who can provide the ultimate love your heart and soul needs. You know, one of the things that, that, that I'm trying to do with my daughter is to remind her of, one, I love her because I am her first real vision of what the father is like. But secondly, I always try to tell her, as much as daddy loves you, Jesus loves you more. But that's all you need. You don't need anybody else. But here's what you have to understand. And it's already been shown so you can see it. The gospel tells us that there's no one too broken that Jesus cannot heal, cannot fix, and cannot restore. I like going to Walmart. We have a lady in our church, Judy Dietrich, has worked there for 27 years and just retired. She got a gold star and a purple heart for working at Walmart for 27 years. I'm going to tell you a story I'm not really proud of, but I think you need to hear it. 
A few years ago, my family and I want, wanted to go to New Smyrna Beach, and after going for a few times, uh, we, we finally decided that what we needed was a pop-up tent. And so there at New Smyrna, at the, there, as you're going there, there is a, a Walmart there, and so we went to the Walmart, and we bought a pop-up tent. It was on sale. It was a good price. I think we paid about $100 at the time for it. We go to the beach. We set up. And I put the tent up, and, and you have to do that, and I was the man, and I put that thing up all by myself. Kids were little at the time. You know what I'm talking about, men. <laughs> Came down, my wife inspected the tent. She says, honey, you're missing something. I said, what? She said, the pegs for the tent. It's in the instructions. You're supposed to put the pegs in. So I put the pegs in, kind of. Not according to the instructions. An hour later, the Lord has a way of humbling me. The wind came and blew my little tin away. It broke. And then I began to think. I paid $100 for that. I had the receipt in my pocket. And I said to myself, if I just put it perfectly back in the box, in the packaging. Again, I'm not proud of this. I'll take it back to Walmart. I knew it had a warranty on it. So I walked up to the guy. April was not really happy. Just want you to know for the record. For, for the record. She's in this room for the record. confession time, right? So I went to the customer service and I looked at this guy and in my mind I was debating, am I going to tell him what happened or not? I can't, I'm being honest here, okay? The Holy Spirit convicted me. Satan generally accuses. The Holy Spirit specifically pinpoints the sin. And I went to the guy and I said, listen, I'm an idiot. I didn't follow the instructions. This tent that is perfectly put back in this bag is broken. I was wondering though, can I return it with my receipt? Fearing the worst. The man looked, I promise you, he said this, I promise. This is not a lie or a preacher's story. I promise. The man said, yes, we will take it back. This is Walmart. We take anything back. <laughs> Even if it's broken. Then the man said, you can actually exchange it and get a new one. So I got a new one, and we use it to this day. Because I follow the instructions. <laughs> now let's settle down, and I want you to think about that illustration. Walmart took what I broke and gave me something brand new. To do so, they had to absorb the cost of my brokenness. They paid for my foolishness. And I now sit under the shade because of Walmart. 
Well, even greater than that. You know where I'm going with this, right? Jesus took my broken life that came as a result of my foolishness. And he absorbed on the cross the cost of all of my sins. Past, present, future. I broke my life, but Jesus bought it so that he can restore it and make me brand new in him. And so today, whoever you are, whatever you're going through, if you'll be honest with Jesus, don't lie to him. And if you'll be honest and say, I'm broken, based on scripture, here's what I believe Jesus would say to you. I am Jesus. I will take you back even if you're broken. I will restore you to the life you've always longed for. So for those of you that are struggling with sexual sin and addiction and you feel broken, struggling in guilt, Jesus offers forgiveness, he offers healing, and he offers restoration. For those of you in this room who have been abused by someone else and carry the scars of that abuse, Jesus offers hope and rescue. For those of you who have been tempted, Jesus gives you strength to stand firm in the battle against sin. The first step of healing is being honest. The first step of healing is admitting you have a need. You will never be fixed until you realize you're broken so will you today be honest and admit you're broken will you be honest and admit you need Jesus I don't care if you've been a Christian all your life you still need Jesus but maybe you're here and you've been playing the role of a Christian but you're not really a Christian you need Jesus So this sermon and what I'm about to ask you to do is not about confessing sexual sins. This is just coming to Jesus this morning. I'm going to ask you in a moment. We're going to have an old-fashioned gospel invitation. And if you're in this room and you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can today. There will be other pastors down here. We would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. I want to call parents to bring their kids down here and pray over them or if you're just a parent and your kids are somewhere else to come down and pray and you say there's no room at the altar then find a pew and get on it I don't know about you but I need Jesus and here's the other thing if you truly trusted Jesus Christ as your savior and he died for you on the cross and rose from the dead and you've not taken that next step of baptism why not why not why wouldn't you want to tell publicly what Jesus has done for you eternally so get baptized today I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, if God's stirring in your heart, just come to him. And then we're going to stand. And then this altar is going to be open. And I pray, I hope that many of you will come down and pray with your kids or come to be saved or whatever your needs are, that you would do this today. Father, in Jesus' name, what I couldn't do, what I couldn't say, what I didn't know, let your Holy Spirit do. And Father, I pray for those in this room or watching online that do not at this moment have a relationship with you. That Father, that in this moment right now, they would get it right. Yes, they may have questions. Yes, they may have things they don't understand about you. But they believe in you. And now, Lord, I pray that they would surrender their life to you. 
Right now in this moment, God, I pray that you would change and transform their hearts. And God, move them so that they would have the courage to share with me and with others that they have trusted Jesus as their Savior. Father, our church needs your help. Parents need your help. Grandparents need your help. Guardians need your help. So, Father, today, would you move? In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.